Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. When was the last time that you touched a coin? I picked a penny up off the floor the other day that my cat was playing with. Yeah, it wasn't so much because you wanted a penny as you wanted that noise to stop happening, huh? Yeah, and I wanted her to not be the richest cat in the world anymore. you had to put her in her place yeah i was probably a street coin for me even in these times interesting you still pick up street coins i still uh, there's something innate within me where i see a street coin and i'm like i need that you're picking up you're picking up a street coin more often than you are being handed a coin by a person who is giving you change yes definitely i haven't gotten change in Maybe more than a year, probably. Like, yeah. forever. I also very rarely touch coins these days, but I've been touching a lot of this coin, which I will show you and the people who are recording with me and also anyone who's watching on video, <laughs> which is now an option at youtube.com slash SciShow Tangents. But this is the Crash Course coin, which is available now. Crash Course is a thing that... Um, you know, I think that we all have worked on a little bit at least. Not Certainly, Sari and I have a lot. You have. You just, I'm sure you have. You I'm sure you've done some crash set. course thing. Oh, shit. You designed You're the right. organic chemistry I, I worked on that chemistry series. That, I knew that it. was my life for it. so long. <laughs> <laughs> crash course is, is a thing that, that helps a lot of people. And the goal of crash course is to make the best 
content possible at the lowest price possible. When I say the lowest price possible, I don't mean the lowest price we can get away with charging. I mean the lowest price possible, which is zero dollars. I guess less than that would be paying you to watch it, which we do not do. But <laughs> <Maybe> we <someday>. do. <laughs> Somebody should. But we do make it available for for free for everyone because we think that it is a very useful tool to help uh, students and teachers just learn stuff that is hard to learn. And we, I think, do a really good job of that. But it's hard to make work financially. And so every year we do this thing where we sell Crash Course Coins, and you can get them at youtube.com slash Crash Course Coin. There are two of them. There's the 2,000 Learner Coin, which allows you to help us reach 2,000 learners. That's $100. And there's the 10,000 Learner Coin that allows us to reach 10,000 learners. That's $500. And it's stamped uh, with a unique number. You get a little signed thank you card from me and John and a little box we send to you. Um, and we make 500 of them. Last year, we sold out of all 500, and this is how we make Crash Course work. So I'm deeply appreciative of everybody who has gotten or may get a Crash Course coin. If you want to support Crash Course in that way, we really appreciate it, and you can go to crashcoursecoin.com now if you want to do that. So thanks for listening to me talk about it. But I've been touching them a lot, and they're beautiful. This year's back is the art from the cave at Lesko, which is some of the you know oldest cave art out there. And... It's just part of our story, and and we're part of their story. This is a thing I forget that we are part of those people's story. Talking about the cave, about it, the cave people, those people, yeah, oh. who painted those things. Yeah, when Picasso saw it, apparently he said, "We have invented nothing." I've heard that before too. It's just like everyone's still trying to draw a, a gazelle that good. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't quite got back to where we were. Yeah. Well, every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory and also for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sam. Okay, so this one's a little bit of a, a quiz or a call and response, maybe, if you will. So it's partici- yeah. we got to okay, participate, right. otherwise you'll be embarrassed. Yes. Mm-hmm. When the night is cold and you can't see good. Oh, let me hit the, the thing a little harder so you can know what you're supposed to do. I, I think I guessed it already. Yeah, I think I've got oh, it Oh, well, shut up. <laughs> just, <laughs> just start a fire with some good dry wood. wood. Oh, you guys are smart. <laughs> when talking internal combustion, don't take no sass. What your car needs is good old gas. Gas. When it comes to grilling, you'll never cook in vain if you're feeding your fire with a tank of propane. propane. <laughs> yeah. If powering a city or state is your goal, you might build a power plant and burn up some coal. coal. If you need nuclear power, get this through your cranium. You better get digging <laughs> and find yourself some uranium. uranium. When your body needs fuel, you can satisfy that itch by chomping into a big turkey. Sandwich? <laughs> oh, I, got, I was too eager. I didn't know turkey was going to be there. <laughs> I put turkey so that you'd know that it was, you know, yeah, a yeah, sandwich. Yeah, I, I didn't have it until turkey. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, The topic for the day is fuel. And I do love the, I love human fuel. Human fuel is one of my very favorite great. things in the it's whole world. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's wonderful that uh, we need it to survive, but also, I guess not. it's not really a coincidence, it's really good to do, to get it into you. <laughs> it's one of the best things. Sometimes cooking it really sucks, but, you know. Sometimes that's bad, but sometimes that's fun. Yeah. Anyway, um, fuel, fuel, 
Sari, what is fuel? (laughs) (laughs) So fuel, as far as I can define, drawing these lines somewhere, is a material that can be broken up or react Mm -hmm. with other substances so that it releases some form of energy. So that's like solid fuels, like wood or coal or food that you eat and then digest. Liquid fuels like petroleum or... Gatorade. Yeah, or Gatorade. Uh, (laughs) Gaseous fuels like natural gas, propane, Mm -hmm. the gas from the cheese whiz can that you're spraying in your mouth. I don't know (laughs) if you actually turn that into energy. That's probably just a propellant, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, don't suck on the gas from the cheese whiz. (laughs) That's actually not allowed. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, do not take... I was trying to think of a gas... Like a A gas. I don't think that we get energy from any gases. Unfortunately, it'd be really cool to be able to eat some air. The stuff you get from oxygen, like oxygen doesn't count. Uh, Oxygen is not a fuel. It is necessary for the for the oxidation and combustion that that turns the fuel into energy. Uh, Okay, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Well, I mean, mm, that's where it gets interesting. Uh Interesting, actually, because. Part of the energy is in the oxygen bonds because it is a kind of unstable molecule and it it is more stable once it's CO2 and water than when it's oxygen. So kind of, I guess some of that energy gets... <gasps> now I'm very curious how much <laughs> of our energy comes from oxygen. Oh, quite a bit, I think. Even Whoa. in like generating fuels and fuel cells, which we'll talk about later, but that's like um, oxygen is a really key part of that. We're slappy chopping this guy all up. Nothing's yeah. nothing. <laughs> Well, Nothing's, we slap, we slap. I thought, I thought we had it. I thought it was easy, but now I'm like, oxygen is not a fuel. <laughs> Things that are not fuels, like a capacitor, something that stores electrical energy. energy. Yeah. yeah. A ball on a hill, which has potential energy, but it's not a fuel. It rolls <laughs> but down. It's not a fuel. It's not a yeah. fuel. Uh-huh, but that's not chemical. It needs to be chemical. No, because nuclear energy is not technically chemical, and that's fuel. Sure. I guess, because we've I guess uranium is technically the fuel. Yeah, probably call it fuel pellets. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's extending the idea of a fuel to an, an, an analogous thing. Yeah, if I think that if I'm going to be pedantic, fuel pellets are not fuel in the same way an uphill ball is not fuel, or like the water in a dam is not fuel. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm in trouble later then. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, Sam, research a new fact. (laughs) So, Sari, do you know where the word fuel comes from? Or got any etymologies for me? I do. I have a couple of them for you. So it comes from the classical Latin word focalia, which means uh, brushwood for fuel, uh, from the Latin focalis, which means pertaining to a hearth, which Mm, comes from focus, which means a hearth or a fireplace. And so focus, before it meant a point of convergence or like the focal point of anything was a fireplace because what it was the, the center hell? of the home. So it's like, that's oh, amazing. That's our focus over there. It's got that that's wood burning. So cool. In it. That's interesting that we had a word for that before we had a word for the stuff we burned in it. And then we like took the word for the stuff we burned of like, oh, we, I guess we need, need yeah. something. Fuel. Fuel's fuel in the for fire. the fuel. Yeah. Can I ask one question? Yes, sir. You know, gamer fuel. Is uh is um, the, the the drink the yeah. the energy drink yeah is caffeine uh, a fuel? No, caffeine would not be a fuel. Okay, it uh it doesn't actually provide you energy. It just increases 
the metabolism somehow. It's, it's, a, it's a stimulant. The way caffeine works turns out to be very complicated. Yeah, yeah. it's a stimulant. So it mm. affects your hormones as opposed to being converted into energy itself. They got to change their name then. Well, I think they also put a bunch of sugar in, so they're probably good. Oh, okay. That is technically fuel. And that means that it's time to move on to the next portion of our show, the quiz portion of our show. We're going to be playing Fuel Truth or Fail. Humans have been using fuel to power everything from our lights to our transportation for an awful long time, and our reliance on fuel has forced us into strange situations and adaptations. The following are three stories of our dependence on different types of fuel, but only one of them is true. Which one is it? Round number one. In the early 19th century, the price of candles suddenly dropped due to an exceptionally successful whale hunt. While the reason for the success was unknown at the time, scientists reading logs from the whale hunts have since hypothesized that the whales were easy to isolate and kill due to a parasitic infection. Hmm. Hmm. Or it might be the second fact. In the early days of gas stations in the 20th century, consumers were concerned that the gasoline they were putting in their cars would be dirty or contaminated with other molecules. So local newspapers began to send a reporter out every morning to every gas station to do a write-up on the quality of the gas of that day. Or it could be fact number three. Recently, to cut down on fuel costs, ships have begun using a technology that creates millions of tiny bubbles for them to float on. This carpet made of bubbles cuts down on resistance between the body of the ship and the water around it so that the ship can move more efficiently overall. So... Is it whale parasites driving down the cost of candles, newspapers including a daily gas report on the molecules in the gas, or ships blowing bubbles to be more fuel efficient? Gosh, the ship blowing bubble is a good idea. <laughs> I don't I mean, think if it it's works. real. <laughs> but we got a patent on our hands, I think. But I think like a maybe, I feel like some animal does that and I've heard of it, maybe the bubble thing. That's what I was thinking yeah. too. I know we're not supposed to help each other, but I'm pretty sure it's a snail. Let's There's be like friends a... today. Okay. Sorry. Let's try to tie. Okay. Let's, you're going for a tie? Let's yeah. do it. Let's try to tie. Let's try to be equally witty and smart. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then I'm pretty sure the, sh- the bubbles are a snail. They like bubble up. The way that bubbles keep their form is by excru- excreting a mucus and then- mm. They like create these little bubble rafts so they can float along the ocean. What if you're trying to trick me? I agreed. Oh, wow. Oh God. Yeah, Here's a, yeah, like a virtual handshake. They're they're shaking hands. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're in the video. Okay, okay. This is why I did you, the bit. You both. You both sh- <laughs> that was a weird thing because you both used the same hand, so you'd just be sort of like holding your hand next to each other. <laughs> well, Still we can hold hands to seal the deal too. That's a very <laughs> yeah. tender way to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, a newspaper gas report sounds just stupid enough to be something that would be. That's like, what I was thinking. Yeah, real. I would love if I. I do not want to go into journalism. If journalism involved going to test the gas molecules and writing about it, I think I would do journalism. I would just show up to my local gas station and be like, hello, I'm here to check your molecules. Squirt some gas in your mouth and squ- squish it around. <laughs> like a little my question. Box. How do they do it? Do you just give it a sniff? You're like, that smells right. I, I think love the that. secret I is want- it doesn't matter how they do it because yeah. they can just right. say that it's this looks mm. great or this looks yep. terrible. Yep. Maybe get a little money on the side, you know? The whale parasites and candles. I don't know. I know whale oil was a big thing. And I know sure. there was a time where whale oil like significantly disrupted the economy, I think, because we realized 
that we could get oil from whales instead of oil from other sources. And like that's what made it mm. easier. Uh, so it was like a one to one replacement as opposed to replacing candles, which is like a separate source of light and heat. I guess this is dependent on somebody being really interested in why in candle prices a long time ago and being like, ah, mystery is afoot. Is that what it is? Like somebody looked into it way later and was like, why are these candles so cheap? Well, I know. I think that like, um, that, that shocks like that are pretty well documented in the time. But then the idea is that scientists were able to go back and figure out what caused the the shock sort of like the root root cause of it, which is a parasite as opposed to just whaling. Yeah. As opposed to just like a bumper crop of, (laughs) Big, big marine mammals. You guys are trying to tie, so you don't actually have to think about this. You have to guess the same thing, and the outcome will be the same whether you get it right or wrong. Yeah, so no fun. you have kind of ruined the fun by sh- by your by your cooperative <laughs> nature work. of gameplay. I'm going to guess the newspaper gas reports. I was leaning towards newspaper that before our conversation. Okay. So, okay, I'll go with that one too. It didn't matter. Uh, it was the thing you were both wrong anyway ah. because it was the bubbles. Oh no, what? It was the bubbles. <laughs> That one so was... some ships, including mm. cruise lines, are sailing on bubble carpets, and the technology is called air lubrication. You're right about the snails. That's a real thing. You didn't make oh, that good. up. I was like, what a um, tale you've woven for me. Yeah. <laughs> for what end? <laughs> uh, for, for what end? Um, so it, it reduces the friction between the ships and the ocean. In one version of the lubrication setup, there's a blower that blows bubble con- bubbles continuously at different points along the bottom of the ship's hull. While one company estimates that the air lubrication technology can reduce fuel com- consumption by 5 to 10%, there are some limitations. The ships have to be traveling relatively quickly, and it likely won't accomplish much in rough seas. So it's sort of more useful for faster-moving ships, which is maybe a smaller portion of the average number of ships <laughs> out there. But yeah, th- there, are, there are real things here. Uh, early gas pumps had a little cylinder where you could actually see the gas that was getting pumped into your tank. So you uh-huh. could look at it and be like, that looks good by my expert <laughs> eye. I don't know why I know. In this, this uh, the first fact about the whale parasites was loosely inspired by a flu pandemic in 1872 that infected horses and mules. And this is like, it feels quite reminiscent of the problems that we have these days because um, it was a, it was a horse and mule problem, but it became a coal problem because the horses and mules were used to move around yeah. coal at coal mines. And with the lack of horses to use the, to, to move coal around coal prices went up because of the flu pandemic. So there was a like, it sounds familiar, right? You get these disruptions that are sort of second order and third order effects that are like, Oh, there was like some horses got sick and now people are cold. Wow. Which is a bummer, That's but wild. Uh, no bumper crop of, and also, mostly, I think whale oil is used in, as a liquid fuel, not as a solid one. Necessary, I was saying. Yeah. No whale candles. So, we're moving into the break with a zero-zero tie, as they wanted. We'll be back in a <laughs> second. <laughs> I regret it now. <laughs> SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? 
And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora... Ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, They sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. I feel like honey is this way where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea and Mm -hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. It's time to get ready for the fact off. Our panelists have brought science facts uh, to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. And after everyone has presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks 
any way I see fit. But to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question for you. The first liquid-fueled rocket was successfully launched on March 16th, 1926 by the physicist Robert H. Goddard. Goddard's first launch only went 41 feet into the air, but he believed that rockets like that rocket might one day travel to outer space. However, there were plenty of skeptics, including the New York Times editorial board. In 1920, the newspaper published an anonymous op-ed titled A Severe Strain on Credulity, (laughs) which argued that a rocket cannot travel in the vacuum of space because there isn't air to push against. Of course, even the New York Times makes mistakes and they did eventually publish a correction. How many years did it take for them to make that correction? Space stuff was like the 1960s. Yeah, there was a lot of space stuff going on in the 1960s. I feel like that was it. Um, I'm going to say 40, 42. Sam, what do you got? What do you think? 1950. One. So you're going to make me do math now, 1929. Uh-oh. So that's 22, 22 years. All right, Sari is the winner. And indeed, the correction was published on July 17th, 1969, which you may recognize as the day after the Apollo 11 launch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really ate it. Yeah, that was not, by the way, the first time space happened. <laughs> space rockets did a number of things before then. Uh, but I think somebody sort of pointed it out to them and were like, hey, um, it's a pretty big deal going on right now. You d- wrote this in the 20s and you might want to say sorry. To quote the original editorial, that Professor Goddard with his, quote, chair in Clark College <laughs> and the countenancing of the Smithsonian Institution does not know the relation of action to reaction and of the need <laughs> to have something better than a vacuum with which to react. Of course, he only seems to lack the knowledge ladled out daily in high schools. Boy, it, it, I'm glad that this person was anonymous because otherwise they would have had like to deal with that forever. Well, yeah. what a deal. Yeah, the problem is, is people still would write. I could see that being written yeah. <laughs> nowadays, yeah. not anonymously. They yeah. just got yeah. away with it, it back is- in the day. <laughs> From the correction, it says... Further investigation and experimentation have confirmed the findings of Isaac Newton in the 17th century, and it is now definitely established that a rocket can function in a vacuum (laughs) as well as in an atmosphere. The Times regrets the error. Did they not mention the Apollo 11 launch at all? No, they did. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. Well, that means that Sari gets to decide who goes first. Oh, uh, Sam, you can go first. Oh, okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Of all the things in the universe that use fuel, cars is one of them. And they use a lot of it. In 2020, in America alone, cars used about 123 billion gallons of gas. And this gas, well, it's not so good for planet Earth. Gases like carbon dioxide are expelled (laughs) in car exhaust that make their way to the atmosphere, causing all sorts of climate changey issues. You all know this. Of course, there are cars that exist today that don't use gasoline as fuel, but use electricity instead. However, that electricity has to come from somewhere, and more often than not, it's coming from power plants that also expel greenhouse gases. You simply can't win. But back in the late 50s, when... Uh, plastic was allowing for unprecedented convenience in people's day-to-day lives and everyone was expecting jetpacks and hover cars any minute. Automobile engineers were playing around with using a new fuel source in cars, one that's clean, long-lasting, dependable, and could allow for thousands of miles of travel on a single tank. And that fuel source was a nuclear reactor. I mean, it's fun idea. <laughs> it's a fun. I, I don't know that I want every single American to have some uranium, but it's a fun idea. 
Well, we might not have to have uranium. I'll get to that in the end. Okay. By 1958, right. nuclear energy, which had, as many things do, started out as a terrible weapon, had been harnessed for power generation all over the world, powering cities and even some vehicles like nuclear submarines. And it was going pretty well. So the next logical step was putting one in every car in America. Mm -hmm. Or at least that's what some scientists at Ford thought when they mocked up the nuclear-powered Ford Nucleon in 1958. This concept car, which basically looks like a sporty version of the Homer from the episode of The Simpsons where Homer designs a car called the Homer, <laughs> was only ever made in non-functioning model form, but would have featured a replaceable uranium-powered nuclear reactor that would get you about 5,000 miles before it needed to be swapped out. That's pretty good. And not but bad. like, not as far as I kind of expected it to, honestly. Well, you know what? I'll tell you a little bit more about that later also. And it had another okay. advantage that they maybe weren't thinking about too much at the time. I'm not really sure, but sounds pretty good to us these days since nuclear energy is basically like a steam engine, uh, except with a big chunk of eternally hot rock making the steam spin oh, the okay. turbine turbines or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't make the same carbon dioxide heavy exhaust that your standard gas guzzling car does. Wait, so this was a steam powered car? Yeah. So they... Okay, I would have assumed that it would be electric, but that's well. There wild. was there was there was like a steam thing in there that was spinning a turbine to make electricity. Oh, to make electricity, which was so it didn't actually like the steam didn't like connect to the no. wheels. But okay, that was the problem with the car because the steam nature of the nuclear power was also the thing that made the nucleon impossible, basically. Because in a regular car, you turn gas into an explosion of mechanical energy. Yeah, there's a problem here. And then the yeah. nucleon, you turn the thermal energy into mechanical energy into electricity. And the equipment to do that made the car really heavy with a huge area taken up by the engine. Like 60% yeah. or 70% of the car is just like a huge engine. And the car was even huger because the reactor would always be making heat, I think. So it yep. was covered in exhaust vents that would just spit out really hot air all the time, <laughs> even when you weren't driving it. I hate this more and more all the time. <laughs> and so none the, of that is to mention all of the extremely heavy shielding required to protect everyone yeah. in the vicinity huh? from deadly radiation. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm sure that these things would never get in car accidents. <laughs> what would happen if they did? Just like, Well, the shielding may be compromised, yeah, which I don't love. Sad. They wouldn't explode, though, right? I don't think so. Okay. I think that the way that it sounds like this works, it isn't uh, a meltdownable thing. So a real working version of the Ford Nucleon never saw the light of day, but science is always marching on. And there are apparently several companies working on nuclear cars these days. And some 60 odd years of research and development has changed a lot. Uh, and these days, nuclear cars in development are powered by thorium, which is an element with a more controllable reaction than uranium. And they shoot it, the thorium with a laser, and that makes the thorium make heat in a pressurized steam chamber that spins a turbine and all of this happens in a 500-pound engine, which is about the same as an engine in, like, a gas-powered car. And it's been speculated that 8 grams of thorium could power your car for 300,000 miles. So That's what I'm talking about. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, like, 20 years between uh -huh. refuelings. And I'm like, that's what I want. Yes. I do not want anything to be involved. If I'm going to be using a thorium-powered, laser-activated nuclear reactor in my car, <laughs> I don't ever want to have to go to the gas station. Like, yeah. I'm done. It's, it's the life of the car. Thank yeah. you. My kids will be driving this car. No problem. Yeah. I want, I want a laser car. I want a Nucleon. It sounds, looks great. Maybe we could have uh, laser planes. Thorium planes, you know? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Then a because trained professional has to operate them. Exactly. It's not like it's not like some stranger is just buying one of these at a used car lot. Yeah. 
am putting like offensive bumper stickers on the back of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Going, like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like it hour. if there was like a really scary bumper sticker on the back of a nuclear-powered car. Yeah. I'd be like, I don't think I want to live in this country anymore. But, uh, you know, airlines are fairly are very regulated already. Um, yeah. And no one's ever stolen an airplane, right? Ever. <laughs> it's never happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, Sari. I feel good about Sam's fact. Okay. But what do you have? So it's fairly easy to confuse fuel cells with batteries because their basic structures are similar, or at least it was for me. Uh, there's two electrodes called an anode and a cathode, separated sure. by an electrolyte that allows ions to move. And the main difference... <laughs> yeah, it's just pure gator. Your car is very thirsty. Uh-huh. Please, top her off. Uh, and the main difference, in my understanding, is that batteries have all their chemical reactions contained inside them, whether you can rearrange ions to recharge the batteries or not. But on the other hand, fuel cells need a constant stream of fuel to the anode and oxygen to the cathode for the chemical reactions to happen and the electrical current to be generated. And the most common fuel you hear about with fuel cells is hydrogen gas. But there's a lot of exploratory research these days to investigate fuel cells that run on different substances like glucose or lignin or other weird innovations. But I'm not here to talk about those as cool and weird as they are. Instead, I want to present a fuel cell hiding right under our noses in breathalyzers. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, isn't it weird? I'm glad you don't know about this already because I didn't and I was going to feel like I had egg on my face if you did, if everyone was like, well, well I mean, obviously. you have a little bit of egg on your face because I was a lignin chemist in college. And oh. so anything to do with lignin, I'm like, you win. <laughs> no one ever talks about lignin. Damn. Okay. Well, uh, let me just. Keep that in mind for the future. You alert this article again. Because it's kind of invasive to sample some blood to calculate blood alcohol content, breath analyzer technologies have been around since at least the early 1900s. Um, as you know, the alcohol we drink is just ethanol, and chemists know how ethanol reacts in predictable ways. So an early breath analyzer was developed in the 1930s by a biochemist named Rolla N. Harder, and he called it the drunkometer. Uh, Wait, was his name Rolla Harder? Harder? Yeah, Rolla Harder would have been great. It's just like, yes, that is a, that is a man who parties yeah. right there. <laughs> And so it worked by you blew into a balloon and then the balloon was hooked up to a machine and then the machine pushed the air through and reacted the ethanol in someone's breath with a potassium permanganate solution. And the gas turned more and more purple with more and more ethanol. So you just like looked at how purple it was and I'm like, "Eh, they're kind of drunk. That's a fine drunkometer, but that's not that's not that's not nearly as cool as what's happening coming next. Yeah. The next big advancement was in the 1950s by Robert Frank Borkenstein. Great name also. <laughs> also a <laughs> really Yeah. That's everybody like, hey, Bobby Borkenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, Bork, 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 Bork. Um, and so Bobby Bork took the advantage of the fact that <laughs> ethanol is a perfectly good fuel that can be used by a fuel cell to generate electricity, which is how the first breathalyzer worked. So you blew into the device, and if there was enough ethanol uh, in your breath, then it would ke- chemically react with the anode, power the fuel cell, and generate an electric current. And more ethanol means a stronger current because there's more fuel in the cell, which then can be mathematically translated to an estimate of your blood alcohol content. Whoa. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. And so you can still get fuel cell breathalyzers that work like this. A lot of the ones 
that are like casually on the market for people are fuel cell breathalyzers. Although there are also much fancier ones, uh, devices that use spectroscopy to more precisely analyze the molecules in your mouth. And there are so many other better ways to generate electricity with your body, like pedaling on a bike or eating food and just letting your body do its thing. But I guess drinking alcohol and breathing it in a mini fuel cell is one of them, which is so weird. That is very, that's, I mean, ethanol is a fuel. You put it into a fuel cell, you generate electricity with your drunkenness. Is it enough to like shock me? This is what I want to know. I don't think it's enough to power the device if you do it regularly enough. Oh yeah, it it charges itself. Yeah, it charges itself. I think. I think if, but like, if you blew into a thing and it had a little electrode at the end of it, Mm -hmm. and go and electrocute people. I bet it would be milliamps. Small, Hmm. yeah. Maybe you can maybe make their tongue feel a little. So if so, if you blew into one end and then someone else, battery. Yeah, nine volt battery, like a little sour on the other end of it. Uh, So I think that that uh, Sari convinced you to go in on a tie, Sam, and it's come to bite you in the butt because Sari has taken away the episode. Uh, Though I loved, I loved yours as well. I think your decision is flawed, but that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is the this is totally understandable about having a group of people who are working together is that you're not always going to agree, but as long as you understand the reasoning behind the decision, we can move forward. It's going to take some time. It's time to move on to uh, uh, the next segment, Ask the Science Couch, where we've got some listener questions for our finely honed couch of scientific minds. What sort of research, James from Discord asks, has been done on chlorophyll-based solar power? What a great question. Uh, So I guess the idea being chlorophyll turns, uh, turns sunlight into fuel, lignin, uh, and other, and cellulose and stuff that you can burn. <laughs> the face you made when you said any, lignin. Any, lignin. Any, chance to, any chance to mention lignin? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and that is electrons moving around. Like, there's a lot of how that happens. So, uh, so why not? It would be nice to do with plants because they're made out of carbon dioxide rather than out of a bunch of heavy metals and silicon and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what I know. Sari, what do you know? I'm just going to take what you said, basically, and string it into the narrative order that I pre-crafted for the episode, but try not to repeat <laughs> as much. Uh, so solar cells, the way that they work is by capturing uh, sunlight to generate electricity. And so in a photo- photovoltaic cell, uh, like Hank was mentioning, it's usually a semiconductor like silicon, um, which... Just the sun, the sunlight hits it, and then uh, electrons get excited or get popped out in some way, and then those electrons like become electricity. Vaguely similar with uh, chlorophyll. Electron gets excited, it absorbs sunlight. Electrons get excited and then get moved around in photosystems one and two within a plant. And so, like that's the piece that we would replace. Is like okay, instead of a semiconductor, what happens if we put in chlorophyll? And even though it sounds good on face value, the problem with it is the limitations of chlorophyll. Like it did not evolve to capture the most energy possible. Chlorophyll only absorbs light within the visible spectrum, whereas like semiconductors can absorb light more broadly. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. still flaws in semiconductors. So like silicon, for example, absorbs most in like the infrared red part of the spectrum and less at higher levels. Mm -hmm. And and, like some energy gets wasted as wasted as heat gets 
converted to heat instead of electricity. Um, but chlorophyll is like a very specialized molecule or very specialized set of molecules that can only absorb certain kinds of light. And it's not as efficient as a solar cell, like an artificial solar cell that we've created because plants, they absorb a ton of energy, but then dump it out a lot to avoid like toxic chemical reactions. So they are intentionally Mm -hmm. inefficient so that the plants can survive and don't get like overwhelmed with molecules or Mm -hmm. chemical processes or not free radicals. Yeah, mostly free radicals from the oxygen. Electrons jumping around and doing the stuff to their DNA and stuff. Yeah. So they want to avoid mutations. And so they don't want to absorb too much energy, whereas the goal with a solar panel is to absorb as much energy as possible. So that has made plants evolutionarily a little bit inefficient. But I think in all this, a lot of the discussion is like, well, what if we change chlorophyll? What if we like put in a different, mm-hmm. t- swap out atoms in chlorophyll so that it can absorb a spectrum more broadly? And also, uh, what if we fi- figure out how to modify like the photosystems themselves, like other things that the chlorophyll interacts mm-hmm. with? But that would just take a lot more work. And we are maybe starting to head down that path, but also... Uh, I don't know. Chlorophyll's right. good at making food and silicon's good at making solar panels. So right. maybe right. Right. the path of least resistance is continuing that. But also maybe we get better at making food this way. And like mm. we have, instead of making electricity, you just make sugar with it. And then you do things to make sugar. That would be a big level up mm-hmm. for humanity. Maybe you answered this, but could we just get like real mad sciencey and make like the perfect sun absorbing plant so we would have to modify the the chlorophyll molecules themselves the leaves would be black which is interesting once you get past the okay i'm gonna modify chlorophyll as a pigment there are so many interfacing systems that you'd have to also modify Mm. to like make the plant grow into what you want it to grow and make sure you don't like break all that in the way that right we don't know how to change someone's eye color. Like we're not at Gattaca yet for human DNA. Yeah, yeah but I we think. couldn't just start now and be like, I'm going to take this plant and put it next to this plant and they'll make a slightly better one. And then we'll just like in a few hundred years, we'll have like the perfect one. Well, you're not. So if you're trying to make electricity, plants don't really make electricity in the way that we can, that we could capture it. So what you'd need is you need to engineer it to not just have like awesome black leaves that capture all the energy, but also wires to move uh, it from, okay. from, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that which would be tricky um but not i mean not impossible like science fiction world like 400 500 years from now i could totally see growing a plant that has that like you plug you could like plug in put your phone put your phone around Just plug it. your phone right into it bacteria do make like electrical filaments which is very very weird there are some bacteria that just like make these conducting filaments mm-hmm yeah. yeah, and just make them all around. So you're like maybe combining a plant and a bacteria, then yeah. it just no will grow some wires yeah. instead of roots, and then you just there's no reason you can't grow a wire. Like it is a it is a feasible thing to do with carbon chemistry. Mm-hmm. Robot plants. I'm sure Robot nothing plants. bad would ever happen because we would <laughs> <laughs> all be fine. Yeah, I'm sure that there wouldn't be some fungus that would eat all of the power generating <laughs> plants on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and end it all for everyone. Well, if you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. 
or you can join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Thank you to Totally Not a Chris on Discord, at Mooney Riot, and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's very easy to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents and become a patron, where you can get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. And as I say frequently, we can't do this without our patrons. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. It also has helped us, by the way, create our video episodes, which are on YouTube and are a joy, and you get to see some of the things we're talking about. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell tell people people about about us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes, along with Seth Glicksman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Paula Garcia-Prieto. Our editorial assistants are Deboki Chakravarty and Emma Douster. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And of course, we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire. But one more thing. Humans have been burning dried animal dung as fuel for thousands of years, but nowadays reusing our very own butt excretions is more common than you might think. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what that is? Yeah. (laughs) Millions of gallons of human waste around the world gets fed to anaerobic bacteria who help process it into a mixture of gases called biomethane, a.k.a. renewable natural gas. And biomethane can be used for things like heating, generating electricity, or fueling vehicles, from fleets of dump trucks to modified Volkswagen Beetles, which are cheekily called dung beetles. Did you pick dump trucks because of dump all because of dumps also? Yeah. <laughs> I was like trying to spice up this fact as much as possible because it's kind of generic, you know, but I wanted to know, say some funny dump words. Dump trucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>